Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Emily Partridge. So Emily is the Special Medical Projects Advisor at the Australian Institute of Sport. She completed her PhD at the University of Canberra looking at cryotherapy in elite athletes. So that makes her the perfect person today to discuss how you could use cryotherapy in your practice. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Emily onto the show. Hi everyone, my name is Emily Partridge. I'm Special Medical Projects Advisor at the Australian Institute of Sport. I've previously been a sports scientist at Rowing Australia and a strength coach with Brumby's Rugby Academy. I've completed my PhD at the University of Canberra Research Institute of Sport and Exercise and that was in looking at partial body cryotherapy exposure on physical performance in elite athletes. Absolutely fantastic. So that makes you the, the perfect person today to discuss uh, cryotherapy and why it's used, what, what people can benefit from that. So should we kick off by describing what cryotherapy actually is? Yeah. So cryotherapy, which comes in two varieties, so I'll explain those. Cryotherapy is essentially a supercooled version of an ice bath. So it uses vaporized liquid nitrogen and it was originally created uh, originally created for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, so specifically for sort of pain management. Um, it's a lot of people have probably seen it growing on popularity on social media, like a lot of prominent athletes are starting to use it. Um, but firstly, I'll sort of go over the two different types. So there's partial body cryotherapy and whole body cryotherapy. Um, they do vary quite a lot um, by the protocols used, and that can kind of lead into some of the variable kind of things that you can see if you're researching what's what's been done. Um, so partial body, as the name describes, it's those it's machines that you can actually see that the user's head is outside of the chamber, um, and then whole body is their, their whole body is immersed in that cold environment. Um, so there's a really good video, if you're a follower of Christian Ronaldo on his social media, where he's actually using whole body cryotherapy and you can see him sort of wearing all the correct uh, protective equipment of the gloves, a mask, woolen socks. And he's actually going through multiple chambers because whole body, the protocol that he uses is usually something like you might be in there in a, in one chamber for say like 30 seconds, minus 60 degrees Celsius. And then you'll move into another one for maybe two to three minutes, say minus 110 degrees Celsius. So it's kind of moving through these different ones where they kind of you acclimate to a certain temperature and then move into a colder one. And partial body, the one where your head is outside the chamber, a protocol is normally, say, three minutes at minus 140. So they vary quite a bit. In terms, um, of, in terms of then, like, how cold that is, right? So that's, that's super cold. Um, yeah, so it's very cold. So the reason why it's not like you don't free, actually freeze in there is it's dry air. So the difference with ice bath is you get the conductivity through the air and water are very different. So before you go into a chamber, you have to sort of dry yourself off, make sure you don't have any sweat, any water on your body, because that can freeze you and that would hurt quite a bit. So because it's dry air, it's it's not actually too bad. And obviously then it doesn't feel quite as cold then as, as ice baths or it feels colder how, how does that kind of compare yeah so some of the research that's looked at sort of relative comfort or discomfort it's a lot lot better using cryotherapy than ice baths or cold showers anything like that um, so that's why you often feel that uh, see that athletes are using it more because you're only in there for three minutes 
and it's not nearly as bad as an ice bath. You know, if you've ever had to dunk your your torso, your body into an ice bath, it's pretty pretty uncomfortable. Whereas a cryo machine is, you only really notice it in the last say a minute that you might get, you might feel a bit fresh. Okay, so it's it actually feels nicer than a lot of the alternatives. Absolutely. Okay, so which is a big appeal. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that's a, that's a massive difference. And yeah, all of a sudden you, you're in a situation where you're like, oh, this is quite enjoyable. Enjoyable, maybe it's not enjoyable, but like <laughs> as, as enjoyable as possible compared to, oh, I really don't want to do that. And when you're looking yeah. at perceived scores um, of recovery, potentially at least, uh, you can improve your perceived scores by doing something which you perceive as not as horrible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if it's more convenient, you're in and out in a few minutes and you believe that you're getting the same things as dunking your body into an ice bath, you can see how a lot of athletes are getting drawn to doing cryotherapy over more traditional methods. And in terms of then uh, why it's used, what what's the reason behind it? Because, yeah, that sounds great to go and sit in something really cold for a while, but, like, what, what are the actual benefits? Yeah, so it's... It's pretty much the same as traditional cold exposure. It's recovery from exercise-induced muscle damage. So when you exercise, you get flushing of sort of muscle metabolites and byproducts, and that can lead to, you know, know, if you're not very well trained, that can lead to DOMS, soreness, all of that. And then if you've ever done an ice bath, you you could feel a lot better after it because it's essentially acting like a pump, a pump-like thing over your muscles, and then so that causes vasoconstriction your muscles tighten up and then as soon as you leave that cold environment your muscles relax or vasodilation and that sort of allows an increased amount of blood flow to go through your muscles and essentially i don't like this this term but it essentially flushes flushes things out of your or toxins which not really but essentially flushes things out of your muscles so which can actually help your recovery down the down the track so in a day or two instead of feeling the same feeling worse potentially you can, you can feel a lot better. So that's why people use it for, you know, if you've got competitions with rapid turnaround, say, you know, ex- an extreme example, say you're working in the NBA and those athletes or baseball where they just have a crazy amount of games, you want them to be able to turn around really quickly. So that's why you have cold exposure to sort of enable them to be at a high state of readiness for as long as you can, really. And in terms of then the physiology, you mentioned uh, some vasodilation and vasoconstriction there, but like what happens physiologically, which means that they recover better? Is it is it just that kind of flushing out of metabolites or are there other things which, which go on there? Yeah, so it's a large part of it. There's also one of the strongest things about cryotherapy research is the effect it has on markers of inflammation. So when your muscle's damaged, um, your, say if you go on thigh circumference, your thigh circumference can grow quite a lot, and that's through inflammation from that muscle damage. So there's things that if you're looking at cryotherapy research, there's markers of inflammation like IL-6 or creatine kinase, to get specific. Those can drop rapidly. So it's basically diminishing the level of inflammation that you have in your muscles as well. Um and then it also, like more subjectively, it can decrease pain quite, quite dramatically. So rather than just sort of just looking at physiologically, if you have a decreased perceived um, perception of pain, that can help you feel like you're recovering better and feel like you're going to perform better as well. 
I think that's a, that's a big one as well, right? So if you if you don't have that muscle soreness, if you don't have that pain, if you do have that perceived um, improvement in in readiness, then I can imagine that's a very attractive prospect. But when when it comes to then paying for this, um, is, is it super expensive? Because I can imagine with some seriously cold temperatures comes some seriously high energy bills, which everyone has at the moment. But you can amplify that if you're going to have to keep the temperature really cold. So what what kind of costs are we looking at there? So if you, in terms of, okay, let's start from scratch. If you are with a team and want to potentially invest in a cryotherapy machine, the top of the range for a new one, you could be looking at anywhere up to $100,000. That's in Australian, um, so probably a bit less for US or pounds. Um, And then you've got to pay for gas. So gas is the big one. So it uses vaporized liquid nitrogen. So If anyone knows the price of it, it can be very expensive, depending on which country. So in Australia, if you just wanted a three-minute exposure of cryotherapy, you'd be looking at about $90. So that's $30 a minute that you're paying for. Um, So unless you have that, this equipment readily available, your or your athletes are going to pay for it themselves, they're going to be out a lot of cash. So this is why you really see it only at the top end. You You don't see development athletes putting this up on their on their Instagrams and everything because it's just so expensive. And I think we're going to come on to potentially cheaper alternatives later, but in terms of like the, the strength of evidence. So obviously you've got um, potential improvements, which are fantastic. Some, some decent physiology and, and mental uh, improvements there, which, which could um, yeah, really back up. This as a, a potential method to improve recovery. Uh, it costs lots of money, but what is the evidence that it really works? Is it is it like a, a fantastic or like really, really big improvement? Or is it just kind of a, uh, yeah, well, it, it did improve you a little bit? Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. It's variable at best. So you might find one study that shows big improvements. They're saying, yep, you know, whole body cryotherapy is great. But then you might go to another one and it would say, oh, no, cold water immersion is better. It's really, really subjective. So what we think it's, this kind of comes down to is there is some really good evidence on the level of adipose tissue or fat that an individual has can really affect it. So versus, um, so a, you know, a really lean endurance athlete versus a rugby union prop. They might get completely different values. So that's kind of what it comes down to. And then it's also, and I mentioned on it at the start, is that protocols used are very, very different. So if you if you ever have time, go look at the literature. If you get five studies on whole body cryotherapy, you pro- I would probably hazard a guess that there are going to be at least three, three or four different protocols used there because it largely comes down to the person who, well, like the private facility that has the cryo machine and the person operating it. They might say, oh, no, this this is the best protocol or it'll be different to the next person. So there's no there's no continuity between amongst the literature in the type of protocol that's used. And that's a really big issue when I know during my PhD, it was quite difficult. Um, so those are kind of two of the biggest factors. And there's also recovery is so subjective. So it can come down to the athlete's preconceived judgments of of it itself. So they might say, no, ice baths or hot, cold showers have always worked for me. Why would I use this? So they're going to go into it and say, no, it did nothing for me. So that can kind of affect it quite as well because I'm in the camp of thinking that, you know, no recovery is 
you know, recovery has to be put into context and it has to be individualized, but you should never say, oh no, don't do that, unless you absolutely know that it's going to be harmful to them or their performance. So if an athlete absolutely loves cryotherapy or some other different times of recovery and you think, oh, I'm not sure about it, just kind of think about guiding them how to use it rather than saying, no, no, you're not using that ever again. Use use this because I think it's better. So it can be very, very subjective. And I, I wanted to ask them what's the, the best way to implement it, but is it then just a case of you in all probability just go to the company and say, hey, mm-hmm. I want to do a cryotherapy session and they, they book you in and they tell you what to do? Um, yes, it, it, it depends. So the, if you wanted a protocol flat out, I would say if you had partial body cryotherapy, which is your head outside of the chamber, I would say based on the literature and the research I've done, it's three minutes at minus 140. That's there's because there is a threshold. You're either going to put them in a bit more pain at minus 150, or you're not going to really get as much of a physiological response as you potentially could at say minus 120. Um, if you've got whole body cryotherapy with multiple chambers, I would say do 30 seconds at minus 60 and then at least two or two and a half minutes at, say, minus 110. So from what I've seen, that's what I would recommend. And don't hold me to it if <laughs> it if it's not the best physiological or you've you've got data that shows something something else, happy to always be corrected. And why why then the the initial 60 degree um temperature is it is it some kind of like training effect or is it just getting used to that that temperature yeah so it's essentially acclimation to that to that temperature it doesn't create as much of a shock to um because whole body you're actually exposing the head and therefore so the hypothalamus and the brain your body can kind of think it's a bit colder than it actually is whereas partial body it's your head's out of the chamber so you can sort of expose it to that temperature without being too much of a shock. Um, that That's kind of the theory behind it, essentially. Um, whether, to be honest, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one is better than, than the other. They're very, very similar. Okay. And then in terms of uh, like the risks, obviously the risks is that the, mm-hmm. one of the key risks is uh, my, my wallet being pretty, pretty empty at the end of this. But <laughs> like uh, next to the fact that I'd be super poor, um, what what are the risks? Is is sitting in 140 or minus 140 degrees um, something which the body doesn't particularly like, or is it pretty safe to do? Yeah, there are there are some risks. Um, I put together, I did a sort of a screening tool. I worked with a couple of sports doctors to put together because I there's not really other than sort of broad general um, medical screening. There's not something sort of specific to athletes in general. Um, so the biggest one is individuals with something called Raynaud's phenomenon, which is basically an aversion to cold. So if they go into a really cold environment, their blood circulation isn't, isn't quite the same as someone without that phenomenon. Um, so that can really be, lead to potentially in extreme cases, um, forms of sort of frostbite in their fingers and toes. That's, that's a big no-no. Um, and there is some evidence of people with underactive thyroids, um heart conditions that that shouldn't it is it is extremely cold so but other than that if you are your completely healthy athlete um that you're working with then absolutely the only risk is discomfort to be perfectly honest um and the other thing is if you're using whole body cryotherapy so you're you have just have to pretty much wear a mask so it just kind of limits the 
the gas that you're breathing in. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that if, you, if you're doing it a couple of times a week, then that becomes uh, not so very nice. Mm. Um, and in, in terms of then comparing that to the different methods, because you mentioned um, different studies have compared different things with different protocols, but um, mm-hmm. obviously there's other ways of, of making the body cold, right? So you can have uh, cold showers, you mentioned ice baths. Um, is there evidence to suggest that cryotherapy is better than those options or is it more a case of just choose your poison? Yeah, I would say choose your poison. You've got to think about the context of where you're working um, and your athletes as well. but. Obviously, I mean, the biggest difference is the temperature. So that's how you can get some of these much more acute physiological changes. So specifically, I haven't really mentioned there's a few sort of hormonal and biomarker changes that can happen physiologically when you're exposed to cryotherapy just because it's so bloomin' cold. So you don't quite get the same with cold water, ice masks or cold showers. So you don't quite get that acute change. Um, whether it's better or not, better or not it's it's not really determined it seems to be that they are all relatively similar if you're just looking at will this recover my athletes better but the one thing i will say is that that the thing that cold water immersion or ice baths have over cryotherapy is basically water pressure so when you're sitting in say you're sitting in a a deep bath bath at home your water the water is adding pressure and basically enhancing that pump-like effect uh, on the muscles, especially so thinking about leg muscles, and that can increase the blood flow and increase the amount of removing of the muscle metabolites to potentially increase, enhance recovery. So that's the main difference is temperature and the lack of water pressure. But, you know, it depends which camp you're asking. And, again, I'll just go back to just think about where you're working, what your athletes are doing. In what you go for if you if you have a cryotherapy machine right next to your office yeah let your athletes go through they might absolutely love it but don't go investing 100 grand when you could be just going to your local service station and getting a few bags of ice <laughs> so yeah, in terms of so for example yeah the, the top organizations that's, that's fine but in terms of uh, amateur athletes or youth athletes or whatever who are mm-hmm. just super sore after the first day of preseason, for example um, the recommendation is then probably not to go and spend loads of money on, on cryotherapy, but instead go grab some ice, um, suffer through the cold for a couple of minutes and uh, crack on with your day. Yeah, and just a, you actually kind of make an interesting point because another thing about context is when to actually use it in terms of training phases. So like all cold exposure, there is a growing evidence happening that's cold exposure can actually blunt adaptations. So if you've, you say you're working with rugby union athletes and you're in week one of preseason, they're all really tired. But most of the time in preseason training, for the majority of athletes, unless you're in competition, it's usually sort of strength adaptations, building muscle, all those kind of things. And there, there is a lot of bit of strong evidence that shows that using any type of cold exposure can actually blunt those strength adaptations. So and using cryotherapy, I would recommend to only use it or use it very sparingly outside of in competition because you obviously you want to get people, uh, athletes recovered and at, the, at that high state of readiness, but you also don't want to blunt adaptations. So you've got to kind of think about this sort of recovery periodization, so which, which really needs to go in hand with the training periodization as well. 
So potentially, if you're if you're playing two games a week and you've got some some heavy training sessions in between, um, mm-hmm. then it's a good time. But if you um, let's say you're training uh, three days a week as, a, as an amateur athlete and you have enough mm-hmm. time to recover, you've slept well, you've ate well, then it's probably mm-hmm. not, not not necessary, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do some do some active recovery. Um, go for a walk. You know, those things have been shown to be better for in terms of actually getting the adaptations and not potentially blunting them. I think that's some some absolutely excellent advice. So, Emily, massive thanks for your time and effort today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Super interesting. And uh, I think you might save some people some money as well. So, uh, massive thanks for your advice. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And where can people find you if they want to find out a little bit more about your research and uh, what you've been up to? Uh, So, I post uh, most of my research onto Twitter. Uh, My handle is mpartridge for that one if anyone is interested. Absolutely fantastic. So, Emily, massive thanks. I look forward to speaking again soon and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Emily for all of her hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. If you enjoyed today's podcast and you're looking for some more information on recovery, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free for seven days. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you want to get some more on recovery, you can find loads of different lectures in there about how you can help your athletes recover optimally for the best performance. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would also be fantastic if you can give us a like and a share on social media and recommend us to a coach, a colleague, a friend, or even an athlete. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.